0: Well, hey, friends, this is Lisa Anderson. And let me ask you, what are you doing to help prepare for a great marriage? Well, we want to let you know about a couple of free booklets that we have available at boundless.org called The Guides to Marrying Well. Some of you who have been around a while probably remember these, but some of you newer folks maybe haven't heard of them yet. So we have one for guys and one for the women, and you can sign up on our website to get them. So just see the show notes for this week's episode. To sign up and get your free booklets today and help you on the journey to dating well and prepping for marriage. So you can also visit our website at boundless.org to find these. Just search for $795 this week's episode. So let's get started with this week's episode.
1: Boundless Show.
0: Well, everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson, and as we finish out April and come up on May, let me tell you what we're going to talk about in this week's show. Later on for our inbox, we have a listener who is wondering what does a faithful follower of Christ do when they are married to someone who doesn't bear The fruit of Christ. So, because that is a tricky question and one that has a lot of theological implications, our friend Pastor Mark Bates is going to offer some wisdom on that. You probably heard him last week as well. And so stay tuned uh, for his response. And then for our culture segment, Monique Dusan was formerly an advocate for critical race theory, and now she's a racial unity advocate and runs an organization called the Center for Biblical Unity. But what in the world is biblical unity? Like, how how is that even? any different. Well, she's going to tell part of her story and uh, really discuss racism in our culture and even the church. So you definitely don't want to miss that. Okay, here we are for our roundtable. And I get to welcome back this week, for those of you who heard the show last week, we did a fun roundtable talking about grace and uh, what is grace? What does the Bible say about grace? What does grace look like on a Tuesday? Mm -hmm. And so um, this week, we are back to actually talk about Revival, another term mm. that is bandied about a lot in Christian circles, especially in light of the news-making occurrences at Asbury University and Seminary, and kind of what took place there. And a lot of people were like, "What's up? Is this mm. even legit? Like, how do we know? <laughs> like, is this gonna, is this gonna last? Is this, how, you know, is it gonna hang on? Is this for real?" And so, um, Mark Bates is back, and so is Vince Hoppy. Hey, guys. Hi, Lisa. All right. Um, another conversation to have on this. And I always feel like when I when I talk to pastors, to you guys, I always feel like I'm setting it up like, you know, you better just prove yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, it never feels like just congenial. I'm always like, here we go. And you better answer this and do it correctly. But yeah. no, we're going to have fun talking about okay. this. It'll be good. So, um, okay. So encouraging things happening at Asbury and Cedarville and probably some other places earlier this year what would you say, let's talk about, you know, have you guys seen revivals firsthand? Like, first of all, there's revival, and then there's revivals now. maybe we need to talk about terms here a little bit of like, when someone says, they've gone to a revival, or there's been a revival, what are they talking about? Because my grandpa certainly had, you know, his take on that. But um, go ahead, I'd love Why to hear that. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think, the term revival like there's a, a church nearby that would always have a sign out revival held this tuesday mm-hmm. you know uh, and um and i get what they're saying and and i, so I don't want to uh, belittle that at all in the sense that you know they want to gather and seek the lord and that's fantastic but um i think revival is not something you can stage mm-hmm. in the the sense that we see in scriptures it's the outpouring of the holy spirit uh, on people where it brings about conviction of sin and uh, and uh, not just conviction of sin but delight in the forgiveness and joy of the gospel so you know, I've never been at an experience like I heard about it at Asbury. Read about them, would love to have an experience like that, but mm. I, I've not personally experienced That's that. That's
0: because you're
3: Presbyterian. Mark. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> you <laughs> you clearly... beat me to my own joke. <laughs> oh, like I was going to make fun of him. am like, you know, I'm like a <laughs> eternal pessimist and skeptic. I'm like, I'm a Presbyterian. <laughs> nice. Vince was going to go there. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. cool. And so, like, Richard Lovelace talks about mm. like, the revivals and infusion of new spiritual life. So, uh, confession of sin, repentance, and delighting in the Lord uh, by the Holy Spirit to existing parts of Christ's body. So, mm-hmm. Richard Lovelace is a is a church history Presbyterian I, yeah. <laughs> okay, church we'll history uh, uh, at Gordon Conwell is, is is where where he was yeah. uh, in his life, and mm-hmm. so wrote right, the dynamics of. Uh, of of spiritual life is what it was right yeah and so that was a big
2: influence on Tim Keller if you want to know that okay
0: okay very good to know okay so it's not just like hey Hillsong dropped a new album (laughs) let's call it clearly there's a revival out of that or whatever so I think sometimes we can kind of conflate some of those Mm -hmm. things but that said there have been documented or what some people would document as revivals throughout church history Mm -hmm. what are some of those and what you know like we've also had like the great awakening and whatever was that a revival like help us understand historically what has taken place and how people would have described those events and what was um necessary really or what kind of contributed to those
3: yeah if we were to talk about like first great awakening Mm -hmm. it was during a, a particularly anxious time in in history but then um You know, Jonathan Edwards, we talk about it in in Enfield, Massachusetts, preaches a sermon about, um, was it Deuteronomy 32:35 in due time their foot shall slippeth is basically <laughs> what it says and so it, well, but what, what was he getting at you know yeah, yeah. Uh, sinners in the hands of an angry god like it moved people from a, a point of just kind of getting it from head knowledge mm-hmm. that they knew this to then the point where the spirit applied in it, it like the pennies dropped mm-hmm. in in their lives to which they experienced god's love and forgiveness, and actually we're, we're confessing sin, mm-hmm. repenting and turning to Him, and and so we, we see the evidences of it, and that kind of changed life and new dynamics of spiritual life.
2: Yeah, and so we've seen that, I mean, the first grade away can be a great example, and, and you know, um, and he records a lot of details, but well, even some things are wrong about it, mm-hmm. he records, but, uh, but we've seen others, you know, Asbury had a, another one, I forgot how long ago was that, 30, 40 years ago, there yep. was the, the Asbury revival, uh, Azusa Pacific, uh, it was a great Welsh revival. Uh, and I think a lot of what we saw happen on the college campuses just before my era in the 70s. Uh, of an awakening among uh, you know the baby boomers that age that, that that led to some I think some pretty significant change mm-hmm. and uh, that the the spirit really seemed to be moving because lives were changed and it motivated people to action mm-hmm.
0: yeah. and wasn't it like I mean are we talking early 20th century here when it was the big movement that sent so many people out on the foreign mission field like mm-hmm. the I mean I know there was the one that precipitated Hudson Taylor and all of that but then the many many missionaries that went out to I think Wheaton there was a component yes. there of that of um which yeah. brought about like Jim Elliott mm-hmm. and all of his kin. The eighteen oh
3: six Haystack prayer revival. Okay. And so they ended up sending a bunch of missionaries out. Okay. And so
0: Yeah, that's okay. Good. Good to know. Um okay, so what like you guys kind of alluded to what the hallmarks of a revival are, but like what I mean, I think a lot of people think like this is gonna be You know, kind of to Mark's point about there will be a sign up, but like, there's going to be a tent, someone's going (laughs) to preach super long, um, there's going to be long prayers as well as that, and then eventually people are going to be in tears. Is that, I mean, again, if there is confession of of sin and whatnot, but why would God bring revival under some circumstances with well-meaning pastors and people Mm -hmm. organizing it and not in other circumstances?
2: can't answer that second question you know and and because i mean it's something i think can pray for but i do think you're right there are times when people try to manufacture this Mm -hmm. and that might be a contrast to those who like church history between the second great awakening and the first but they're thinking okay if we can get the mood just right if we can do this we can sing just as i am uh, Mm -hmm. one more time uh, that'd be a different era i guess but uh uh, and we can you know just play on people's emotions to get them to respond uh not that i'm anti-emotions but but that's not the same thing as the work of the Spirit. So I think there's a tendency to want to manufacture that instead of saying, you know, for the Holy Spirit to come and work. Mm -hmm. But revival usually is accompanied by by prayer, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, not, great music and nothing's wrong with great music i'm all for it just that's, that's just that's not the catalyst typically okay uh,
3: the person who preached at asbury uh, texted his wife immediately after and said preached another dud
0: oh really and okay. then mm-hmm.
3: people came right. confess okay. in and the spirit was just working and moving why doesn't God, you know, why, why doesn't the Holy Spirit, you know, like uh, follow our formula? Because he doesn't work according to a mm-hmm. formula. Mm-hmm. John 3, Jesus mm-hmm. talking to Nicodemus, he says, you know, the Spirit works where he wants, right. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a that's a good thing to remember. Mm-hmm. He may not work with, uh, you know, my denomination. and mm-hmm. Am I going to sit around, cross my arms and give a pouty face? No, <laughs> people are changing, their lives are changing by the power of the Spirit. Let's mm-hmm. praise God for that. Right. And that's a it's a good thing. Yeah. I
0: remember um, hearing Chuck Colson say years ago how he was invited to Harvard to speak. And so he had done, it was like a series of three or four nights of lectures that he was presenting to the student body. And it was like, you know, he had all his illustrations, he was rocking it. It was totally making sense. He was very clever in tying together truths and all that. And it was just like people filed out and they're like, not even there for it, you know, and just kind of like, oh my goodness. And so the last night he just opened, opens up Isaiah 53 and starts reading straight up, and people are like weeping, (laughs) and it's like, okay, I guess I have to resort to Scripture. (laughs) And actually, but yeah, he just remembers how powerful that was of just like, Mm -hmm. God's telling me to just straight up get into Isaiah and start reading it Mm. and see what he's going to do, because it's all him anyway. So That's that's pretty cool. Okay, what is... Personal versus corporate revival—is there a difference? What does that mean if someone said, "I've really experienced revival in my life," versus a church, a Christian community, a nation, whatever, experiencing revival? Any distinctions?
2: They probably follow the same pattern, and so uh, you know, I've experienced that in my life in, in the sense that you know, you're praying, and you're, you're seeking the Lord, and you just sometimes it just feels like, man, He really showed up, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's. That you're so much more aware of who he is and of his grace in, in a ways that just that your heart is just drawn. You you know you want to forsake sin. You want to honor him, and uh, so I, I think the the patterns can be uh, be the same. And, and And even though I don't think it's, you can manufacture it, I still think there are things you do towards uh, again prayer, the word, uh, you know, sacraments, and you know, of being with the people of God, all those things. But but the, but you, I don't think you can manufacture those special moments. But certainly, uh, I think the pattern is the same with group or individuals. I don't know. Mm. That's your yeah, I, I think.
3: What does it look like then on the group level? Mm-hmm. It would be. I mean, there are certain things in our culture or that are systemic mm-hmm. and that kind of pervade through. So, what would it look like for an entire culture or yeah. or an entire church to start confessing sins of? Consumerism or mm-hmm. or um, individualism and repudiating those things, right. uh, confessing racism mm-hmm. and mo- like actually seeking biblical unity with uh, other parts of the body um, and confessing those yeah. sins.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? Um, well, let's talk about you know what what we don't want to do is give the impression that everyone you better. I mean, well, because clearly. Mark, you'd be in a bad state. Like, you have to go out seeking. If you haven't experienced some kind of big tent revival or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, God hasn't had his hand on you or something like that. So what does, talk about that and the experience of, you know, again, God moving you forward in something or a great revelation of truth or something versus the daily faithfulness of studying god's word growing um in the scriptures and an understanding of who god is in your understanding of your need to trust him like talk about that of just like you know giving encouragement i guess to the listener who's like mm-hmm. okay but now tomorrow is going to come and i have
3: to just walk yeah. this out yeah one of the things like about revival um if you end up go, going to revival, different things like that. And I, I grew up going uh, crew throughout college, uh throughout uh my college years. And one of the things is you end up having uh conferences and different things like that and you get kind of like a, a high off of those those things and it's it uh like a conference. The thing is is it has a waning effect Mm -hmm. right and so does god work through those things yeah he absolutely does work through those things Mm -hmm. but then what are his ordinary means that he typically works through so what does this look like on my monday god is forming and shaping and doing a rework a work of new creation in your life by the power of the spirit and he's using these ordinary means of reading the word praying showing up to worship on sunday And he is redoing things in your life. He is renovating your life radically. And that's how I would say you experience revival all throughout your life. But, you know, sometimes you have extraordinary moments, Mm -hmm. but you'll end up having a waning effect if you're always looking for that. You'll always have to have a bigger and bigger high Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And so that isn't the ordinary way which God meets with his people.
0: Yeah. So to that point, though, I mean, there are some maybe listening who are like, Yeah, but why do I know so many Christians who are just so like, blah, like they never even want to talk about the Holy Spirit, Mm. or it doesn't seem like God's really doing anything in their life, or they're not encouraged by what they're seeing in the church or whatever. They're just so intellectual, or they're so, you know, maybe we don't have to specifically call out denominations. Uh. or But but, no, just talking about like, you know, again, because I think there's again, a, a balance between you can't be looking around, it's not you know the devil's not going to do everything and the spirit you know again uh, just just assigning blame or or credit or whatever but but yeah what how do we how do we do that when we just feel like we're in a spiritual funk or we feel mm-hmm. like we just haven't seen or experienced god recently in whatever that means
2: yeah, I, mean, I think that's. I mean, there's looking around and saying, "I don't, I don't see the joy of the Spirit in people's lives." That is a problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So, so I don't think you say, "Well, we're just more intellectual, whatever else." No, your your heart should be engaged. But I know, for me, a lot of times, you know, either when it comes to, you know, prayer or going to worship, I've said this many times. I'll go to worship Sunday morning as the pastor, and on there's Sunday morning, and I'm not. You know quote unquote feeling it mm-hmm. and uh, you know and you're singing these songs you go well that song's not expressing how i'm feeling at the moment mm-hmm. and but i can sing that song in faith mm-hmm. and hearing and i think there's something powerful and i think this is biblical about being around the congregation singing that where i go okay they believe this stuff mm-hmm. and uh and then there i do think we're seeking to get our heart engaged and i think mm-hmm. there's that's, that's why there's something truly powerful about worship and, and about singing particularly in mm-hmm. prayer and and then as we're reading the word, instead of reading it as a duty, saying, "Okay, where am I seeing the love of the Father in this?" Mm-hmm. So I think there's still something that ought to be sought, um, and we ought it ought to bother us if it's just a purely intellectual affair.
0: Yeah, hmm.
3: yeah. The, my my thing is like, where do we seek God? And I think he, the the scriptures tell us that he is he communicates with us or mm-hmm. through you know our ordinary means, prayer. Mm. I mean, uh, the reading of the word. And then the sacrament, mm-hmm. I mean, you want I always goof around and, and like wax eloquent every Sunday. But like the thing is on, on uh, the sacrament is that is where God is. Uh, you want to experience God? How about you eat his flesh? Uh, <laughs> uh, you drink of, mm-hmm. of his blood. And like as you feel that bread on your tongue and as you feel the wine gladden your heart, Mm -hmm. That is how God works, like in tangible ways. It is his word made tangible for your life. And that nourishes our faith Mm -hmm. as we go forward. And as you said, we do it in community with others. God is working in some way psychologically through his people and sociologically Mm -hmm. through this group of people as we do this every Sunday.
0: Yeah. We just had um, at boundless and I'm not just saying this because I wrote it um, because I put in a uh, did a blog post on kind of eight ways that I thought of to Kind of boost your faith, especially in a new year, of what it looks like when you're just like, is this year going to be the same as last? And God hasn't shown up, and I thought I'd be dating by now, but God's not faithful, and all this kind of stuff. And one of the examples I gave was um, that has just helped for me personally, and this isn't like necessarily scriptural or prescriptive, but when you find a person who has recently come into the family of God Mm -hmm. and you ask their story, that's just like a shot in the arm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just a fun, I mean, I think too often we get in our little, you know, clicks and our little circles of whatever, of hanging out with, with the same people who maybe are in the same spot we are in our walk or whatever. And sometimes you just have to hear the story of someone who's like, oh, my word, like, here is just what happened to me. Like, and so it is fun as we encourage one another and build one another up. And uh, that's just uh, a great way to go go about doing that, I think. But awesome. Well, you guys, thank you so much. I mean, what a great conversation on, you know, obviously not specifically like Oh, you better you know you better know mm-hmm. what revival is or have experienced it in this way but just to be encouraged that God is at work and will continue to be at work and so we can um, we can trust him to show up in that way so thanks so much thank you Lisa thank you Lisa
1: have you ever felt like the world me and you
0: Folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, and I get to introduce you to a new friend to the Boundless Show. Her name is Monique Dusan, and uh, I'm kind of excited. I was just talking to her beforehand. The reason she is here in person is she's going to be speaking here tonight at Focus on the Family for our Lighthouse Voices series. And uh, I'm going to bring uh, some ladies from my small group. And so it's going to be fun. It's going to be a long day, but we are ready to dig in. And my point being that topic uh, today that we are going to talk about. And Monique is uniquely qualified because she's a speaker, she's a racial unity advocate, a former missionary, believe it or not. She actually graduated also from Biola out in LA and is currently working on an MA in public theology. And uh, Monique, I want to welcome you to The Boundless Show. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Okay, well, um, we are going to talk a little bit about critical race theory, and about the concept of racial unity. And I think a lot of people are going to say, well, isn't that like the same thing? I mean, that's what we're going to accomplish, you know, by talking through CRT and whatnot. And so we're going to talk about the gospel um, as a lens towards race and issues around race. And so I kind of want to give um, give you a little chance to give us a bit of your background, because you know, it's not many young women that go through school and say, oh, yeah, the one thing that I want to do is jump into the, you know, super controversial topics and, and become a spokesperson for those. So talk a little bit about um, – where you were in the past and kind of um, some of the things that you fought for and kind of how you got to where you are today at the Center for Biblical Unity.
4: Yes, well, thank you. I am Monique Dussan, and I grew up in South Central Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and grew up to a or with a family of four children and a single mom and really just lived my life being black. Like this is one of the markers that I distinctly remember from my childhood is the way my mother instilled in me that you are a black woman. You are a black child. Now you will grow up into a, be into being a black woman and the the beauty and the the almost sacredness of what that meant. And so as I grew up, I also understood the differences between whites and blacks. So I lived in L.A. during the 92 riots with Rodney King. I watched them from my street and really learned that blacks and whites are completely different. Mm -hmm. We don't interact. I didn't have, um, you know, white teachers in elementary school. I didn't see a ton of white people in my neighborhood or anything like that. And as I continue to develop my thoughts on race, my culture, my mom, my friends, teachers continue to reinforce this idea. Well, that's because we're so different. Mm -hmm. I went to Biola Some of that was also reinforced there. I studied sociology, and so there's a lot of the the social theories and things like that that are present in sociology. I went to church believing this. I also served on the mission field in South Africa for four and a half years from this viewpoint. When I came home in 2018, my now ministry partner, Krista Bontrager, who we were just friends then, really just started to question some of my thoughts. Hmm. Like, well is it a scriptural, you know, idea that blacks and whites are different? Mm-hmm. Is there, you know, truly more than one human race? Mm-hmm. How does the Bible tell us to address things like racism? Mm-hmm. Is racism even a biblical concept? Mm-hmm. And so as we were talking, I really needed to dig into the word. I knew about race and justice and unity from the secular perspective or the cultural perspective, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really understand the scripture and what the scripture said about it. And so through all of that, I stepped away from critical race theory. Okay. And from there, I started the Center for Biblical Unity to be able to really build
0: family and discuss our unity as believers. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about and maybe get some definitions out there. Because I think, how would you say both, you know, our culture when we talk about racism, how is it defined? And how would you say putting a gospel lens on it and really addressing that? Because I think anyone, you know, listening is going to say, Okay, well, you know there are some differences between various races and some different you know cultures as you grow up and stuff and let's not get rid of all differences and and whatnot. So talk to us a little bit about when we hear the word racism, which is a very charged word, what does the culture want us to think and then how should we as believers kind of shift the script on that? Well, according to critical race theory,
4: racism itself is embedded into the fabric of America, it's everywhere. The idea of racism by definition would be prejudice plus power. So not just having a prejudice in your heart, but having institutional power to impact someone's life. It no longer refers simply to the attitude of heart that I may have against a person who is of a different racial category than what I am. Now, the idea of race itself is a social construct. I can acknowledge that. Truly, there is only one human race. Our differences in skin color and eye formation and things like that are simply micro adaptations. There's one human race. I love the fact that you say we don't want to get rid of culture. Mm -hmm. Every culture has something that I personally believe can be celebrated and something that needs to be redeemed. Mm -hmm. So when we think about culture, what we don't want to do is conflate someone's skin color with their culture. It's important to understand that when we're talking about conversations of racism, it is definitely b- built on the idea that whites and blacks in this current conversation, whites and minorities, whites and blacks have a distinct difference based on things like white supremacy, whiteness, um, institutional racism, where there is racism,
0: again, spread throughout the American fabric. Mm hmm. Okay. So what would you say? Because I think a a lot of um, young adults thinking today, and of course, this is in families, it's in the workplace, it's in what they're taking in in social media and whatnot how you know a lot of young adults listening are going to be like okay well you know i had so and so tell me that because i said this i was racist or whatever and i i would say you know i felt like my grandpa was racist <laughs> or whatever and again bandying about the terms how do we reconcile the fact that whether i mean i i like the distinction that you made about race you know and the human race um but how do we better kind of take hold of the language and the conversation to acknowledge that Yeah, there are people that are wanting to um, discriminate against uh, people of color. There are people, or you're seeing it show up in different ways. It does manifest in certain ways, but there are different ways of thinking about that and better ways of thinking about it when we put the gospel towards it. So I would say that when we consider the issues of
4: racism, first, we can acknowledge that all people can be racist. Mm -hmm. The idea of racism today is something that white people specifically are, you know, seen as being able to do, not something that a person of color can actually do. I might be able to hold prejudice as a black woman, but I wouldn't be able to be racist according to this definition. Mm Now, in the scriptures, I don't actually see a sin where, you know, one group can do and the other group can't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so that makes me question right there, like, is this a true definition that Christians should adopt? Mm. Now, in looking at, you know, how do we have this conversation or what about my grandfather who was racist? Your grandfather may have been racist. (laughs) Racism mm-hmm. is an attitude of heart. Mm-hmm. So when we think about racism biblically, mm-hmm. we should think of the, the sins that are listed in scripture, mm-hmm. things like partiality, mm-hmm. things like hatred, slander. These are the things that make up racism. It's hatred, slander, partiality based on someone's ethnic heritage. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I might hold ethnic partiality or ethnic hatred in my heart, now, the way as a believer for us to address this is to disciple believers.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I don't believe that we will never see racism in our churches
1: mm-hmm.
4: from any person. Why? Because we're bringing in people who at one time were without Christ, mm-hmm. at one time were living aside from Christ. And now that they have come into christ we have to disciple and have help with with the power of the holy spirit for people to be renewed in their thinking Mm -hmm. the truth of what does it mean to be created in the image of god
0: Mm -hmm.
4: dignity value and worth Mm -hmm. and so to address the idea of, you know, what do I do with the person who is racist? We disciple them as believers into the truth of the scripture. Now, when I'm having a conversation at work and someone says, well, that's just racist, I also have to understand that there is a cultural conversation that's being had that automatically puts us into our social identity categories, labels us, and then keeps us in our silos Mm -hmm. and tells us how to relate to one another based on those social constructions Mm -hmm. or those social categories. And so right now, based on social categories, white Christian men are seen as the highest level of oppressor. As a black woman, I am told how I should think about that group of people. But that cultural distinction is not the way that we're told to interact with people in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we take our marching orders from the scripture, not from the culture. And the way that I relate to and um, participate with a believer or a non-believer is going to be based on my
0: relationship with the scriptures, Mm -hmm. not my instructions from the culture. Yeah. And that's interesting. And it actually uh, makes me want to have you back up a little bit, because I think that there are probably a number of well-meaning people out there who thought, you know, as critical race theory was being developed, and certainly now as it's been perpetuated in the culture, like, oh, my goodness, this is a good thing. This is what we need. This is what we need to do. And so they're looking for an answer of how do we, you know, systematically address this? What does it look like? And so probably some good intent at least in some circles but maybe some wrong application tell us what you think where has it failed where has CRT failed it's not answering the right question it's not the way certainly that biblical believers should be going after the the issue as a whole well i believe
4: that critical race theory fails in answering some of our basic questions what is our basic fundamental problem as human people hmm. The human person's fundamental problem is sin. It is that we have a disconnected relationship with Jesus and I need to come into a relationship with Jesus. It is sin. Now, critical race theory will say that our fundamental problem is first whiteness, white supremacy. We need to decolonize whiteness. We need to um, get rid of the structures that uphold white supremacy. White supremacy is not the greatest problem. The greatest problem is the attitude of heart that we have lost relationship Mm -hmm. through the fall with God. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: How do we get back into a good place or how do I become a good person? Well, we believe that Jesus is, the one, the answer to the human problem. And then we believe in discipleship and living life according to the scriptures. Well, critical race theory will say that you need to become an ally and you need to read these books and you need to continually do anti-racism and all of these works that are put forward to continually help you to become a good person.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: That's completely counter to what the scriptures say. Critical race theory or proponents of anti-racism will say that, well, if we want unity, white people have to do certain things and black people have to do other things. And, you know, this is the way that we're going to eventually get to unity. Well, that's not actually for the believer, the truth. The truth for the believer is that our starting point is unity. Mm -hmm. You are my sister when we come into Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, Ephesians 4 talks about how do we maintain the unity? I can't maintain something that I have to make
1: Mm -hmm.
4: first. Like... Let me let me see if I can say that in a better way. When Paul says maintain the unity, it's because it's embedded within Ephesians one, two, four, John seventeen, that our unity is by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And if our unity has been received by the power of the Holy Spirit, now I do get to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And that is a bit of a work. Yeah. Forbear. Be forbearing with one another, go again with one another, forgive one another, ask for forgiveness, mm-hmm. walk with one another. But these are completely different than the secular sociology, you know, works that, that are put forward of you need to read this book, you need to repent of whiteness, you need to, you know, do all of these things. The biggest difference to me with um, critical race theory is that race is the central factor in the matter, Where in Christianity, my heart attitude, how close I am in covenant relationship with Jesus, that's the matter.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: And as Christians, we don't want to adopt the secular and exchange that for
0: what Christ has given us. Yeah. I would imagine, and you've probably been um, asked this before, I would imagine, though, that even in the church, you have black brothers and sisters who are like, okay, hold up, girl. (laughs) who are like accusing you of being a sellout, who are like, wait a minute, you know, this is what we fought for. This is where we are. This is what we don't want to lose ground. How do you respond in that context? And how are you, you know, trying to win hearts on both sides when it comes to like, why are you, Monique, a black woman being the one who's going to champion this? You know, this shouldn't be your cause. You need to continue fighting. You know, you need to fight for power and exactly what we're talking about. Yes, I have heard
4: that, a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, oddly enough, or surprisingly enough, <laughs> it's more from white women ah, than it okay. is from blacks. Uh-huh. When I have conversations with black brothers and sisters, when we're sitting down and we're going back and forth and we're struggling through the scripture together, a lot of times it's like, hmm. I don't know about that. I don't like it, but I can see where you're going. Mm. Many white women will walk up to me and boldly just tell me I'm racist. Mm. No, no shame in it. No question about it. That I'm hurting my own people. There's another form of racism that we didn't talk about that's called internalized racism. Mm. That I myself am carrying this internalized racism, this hatred against myself and my own people. Mm. And so, or my own ethnic group. Mm -hmm. And so, I've I've heard this from both sides, but the majority of time it does come from more white, middle-aged women. Mm -hmm. The way that I handle that conversation is simply by going back to the scripture. Now, if our conversation has whittled down so much to the point where all we can do is call names, we have a lot of other things that we need to talk about.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: But the scriptures have to speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's good. So... I want to leave some time here um, for you to talk a little bit about um, the Center for Biblical Unity and kind of what, you know, what we as a church can do, black, white, all race, you know, all <laughs> ethnicities, I should say. But I mean, um, I think that that's a good point. You see yeah.
4: what critical race theory does and even our current conversation about race, mm-hmm. it separates us into our black, white binary. Yeah. What do we do with Mexican-Americans? What do we do with Chinese? What do we do with different ethnic groups? Mm-hmm. The secular social theories keep us in a conversation of a black-white binary. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're not black or white, you get in where you can fit in. Christianity says come. Mm-hmm. Christianity is such an inclusive, mm-hmm. and I, I use that term intentionally, it's an inc- inclusive religion,
0: mm-hmm.
4: and yet still very exclusive
0: in that we must worship the correct God correctly. Yeah, yeah, so true. So talk a little bit about what some of the priorities are for the center, because I think that, you know, I mean, you can take on the entire world and every <laughs> issue yeah. with this and every argument and, and whatnot, but what have you found to be most fruitful, most productive as you kind of try to make inroads in having this conversation? Training pastors
4: oh. to be able to have this conversation with their com- within their communities. Okay, Having conversations where we don't have to be afraid Mm-hmm. To have the conversation about race, mm-hmm. where we don't have to have the convert, we're not afraid to have a conversation about black and white mm-hmm. or any other ethnic group, calling people up to live in boldness, to not shrink back from hard conversations, and to be bold enough to say, No, we're not going to adopt the culture's way of doing this, we are going to live distinctly Christian. Mm-hmm. I think that is by far, one of the most difficult things that that we do, but it's also one of the most fruitful things because when pastors and leaders, um, principals at schools, when they catch it, when they understand that we do live as the called out ones, distinctly unique from our culture, then they take that back and they train their leaders and their teachers and their students, and you begin to see the ripple effect of that. When we go into churches and schools who have implemented DEI practices and things like that, they're already falling apart. Mm. And so how do we you know, train people or, or work with people, walk a road? It's really walking a road with people mm. to be able to say, you know what? Okay. Yeah. I know you tried the secular thing. Let's come back to to the scriptures and let's live boldly where we are and disciple the people who are with us Mm -hmm. to live boldly according to the scriptures. So I think that's one of the most important things that we do. And then traveling around, um, I travel a lot, my ministry partner travels a lot, and we preach a message, and and I'm not a pastor, so I'm not like saying using preaching that way, but Mm -hmm. we definitely promote a message of family. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's really something that's missing in the body of Christ today, we are so caught in this conversation of the us and the them, the question of how can we walk in unity? How can we be united? We are called brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. We are family. Mm-hmm. And so walking around and, and meeting new people, giving a hug to new people and reminding them that regardless of our skin color, we are ontologically family. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit makes us one. We are made family. I think that's great and, and super needed. And then the last thing is our curriculum reconciled. We created a curriculum in 2021 that takes people through six weeks of reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled? Hmm. Are we as believers truly reconciled or do we need to do the work of racial reconciliation? Yeah. I'll give you a little You know, hint, I am not a proponent of racial reconciliation um, for many reasons, Mm -hmm. but the curriculum really looks at what our reconciliation as believers looks like Mm -hmm. and how
0: we walk that out and maintain the unity that we have. Yeah. So great. So good. All right, folks, Um, well, we've been talking about this. We want to give you some more information, and so um, you're going to find, we're going to have a bunch of links. We're going to link to the Center for Biblical Unity so you can get info on all of this, what Monique uh, is up to, what the ministry is up to. Go to boundless.org, search 795, that's this week's episode, and uh, you'll see all the information there, and uh, you can avail yourself of that. And um, I'm really looking forward to tonight's discussion that I get to be a part of. Of, I know we're going to uh, focus on the family, um, be, you know, obviously promoting that and uh, utilizing that in the future as well. So stay tuned for more information. So, Monique, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. Thanks
1: for having me. Another day that I can't fake another journey and another mile. in the shoes of a broken
0: Well, here we are for our inbox, and we are going to answer a listener question. Uh, This is another great one. And so we brought back, like last week, our friend, Pastor Mark Bates. Hey, Mark. Hello, Lisa. To answer this one, um, our listener asks, what does a faithful follower of Christ do once they have married a person? Who isn't bearing the fruit of Jesus and is now trying to navigate life with someone who doesn't hear the voice of Jesus or feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Have you discovered any resources to help those who are in this type of situation? And uh, wow, that's kind of a hard <laughs> question because <laughs> right. it's like making a lot of assumptions. But let's assume that maybe right. this person, they're they're sensing like, oh, this person just doesn't want to pursue the things of God. They don't want to talk about spiritual things. they not. I mean, I don't know. It looks like that might be the case, mm-hmm. which is very tricky. I mean, right.
2: Yeah, so, uh, and now I'm going to go on some assumptions that when they married this person, this person claimed to be a Christian and Mm -hmm. uh, claimed to be pursuing God, because it sounds like something that's happened recently or surprised them. So the first thing is, well, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd bring it up it, 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 to them and just ask. But be careful how you talk about it, because you can talk about it in two ways. You know, one would be, "Well, tell me what's going on with you spiritually." Or the other could be, "Why don't you love Jesus like I do?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mm-hmm. the second is not going to be real helpful, mm-hmm. and I'd say it actually is quite unbiblical um, way to approach the, the the topic. And so, one, I'd say, begin by talking about it, and th- and it could be the person's in a in a spiritual funk. Uh, they uh, don't know what to do. They're distracted. And, and so the question is, how can you be an, an encouragement to them? Now, let's say the person says, no, I don't want to. You know, maybe I wanted to pursue God when I married you, but really that's not what I want now. Uh, at that point, I think one is remember you're called to be faithful in this relationship regardless. And so, uh, so you begin by praying. Uh, Peter talks about how you know a wife living with an unbelieving husband uh, says they'll be won by the, their gentle and quiet spirit. In other words, the nagging is not going to help. <laughs> uh, and uh, again, I would say be an unbiblical response to it. And so, uh, so showing love and compassion for the person, no matter what. Uh, then, with that, uh, it's the reason we all live in Christian community. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say find a few trusted people, uh, m- maybe a mentor uh close friends not everyone i would not be gossiping about your spouse but you do need other people to walk with you through this that's going to be more helpful than a book or a podcast on this Even mm-hmm. though i like podcasts <laughs> uh, is, uh, uh is uh finding those i think Larry Crabb said this he said most people who go to counselors don't really need a counselor what they need is a community of shepherd and friends mm-hmm. and in something like this you need other people who are going to pray for you and encourage you and help you to respond well, because if you're responding in a judgmental, condemning way, you're going to drive the spouse away, mm-hmm. and if you're responding with love and compassion, doesn't mean you're condoning uh, but but uh, your uh, love and compassion, and to do that, you're going to need people around you,
0: yeah. That's good. I have a friend who was in uh, that kind of situation, actually, as you were talking, I thought of her because Mm. she kind of had a husband who, you know, very much professed Christ and whatever, but kind of was like, she was upset. She had really grown leaps and bounds in her Mm. faith. And then all of a sudden it was like, he was always talking about how worried he was about money. And, you know, she's like thinking, how come you're, why aren't you trusting God? And, you know, and then he was just kind of like shrinking back, didn't really want to be in small group, didn't Mm. want to whatever. And so she just started praying and she she prayed and prayed and mm. she's like, I'm not kind of to your point, I'm not going to jump in and like try to orchestrate his spiritual life or, you know, set up Christian play dates for him, right, <laughs> <Those right. kinda laughs> but she just prayed and prayed. And one day he came home after church mm-hmm. and he said, uh, Hey, FYI, I'm signing up for this church mission trip to Africa wow. that they're putting on yeah. totally on his own. He decided, yeah. and he went there, met some great guys and got into mm-hmm. a discipleship group and it just took off from there. So yeah, you never know what God's going to do. That's yeah. pretty cool. Awesome. Well, everyone, take heed. You know, think about it. Pray. I mean, that's just a good reminder to be praying for people, mm-hmm. whether you're married to them or not, quite frankly. So, mm-hmm. um, an awesome, awesome reminder of the power of God in a person's life. And if God wants to chase you down and he wants to do something in your life that you might not even be prepared for, he will do it. So, get ready. Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, Remember, sometimes I remind you guys to hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show because that is a great way for other people to hear about the show and maybe give it a chance. And so if you're sharing it on social media or you leave us a review, you know, hopefully positive, um, we would really appreciate it. And again, we know that you're friends and fans of the show. You're part of our family here. And so we would just love for you to share that love. In the meantime, I will see you around next week. It's Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The
1: Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. Boundless.
2: God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him. Disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.